Welcome to the Nexodus podcast. We are jumping back into Genesis chapter 26, and I'm going to move quite fast through the next set of chapters to get us to Genesis chapter 30. But there's some amazing principles that need to be highlighted as we move through this particular portion of the ancestral documentation that once again, as I said, has been fragmented, but yet the word of the Most High is forever. It lasts forever. So those who are his, they will be able to decipher in these last days what he's been saying or what has been tucked away, even though the nations have maneuvered the scriptures. The Most High is waking his people up as he spoke through the prophet Ezekiel. Valley of the dry bones. These are the times of reconciliation, the times of healing. These are the years of the return. And he said that the bones and the sinews will begin to come together, then the nerves, then the flesh, then he will pour his spirit, then it would become an exceeding force or an army. So that's what we are yielding our members to as we follow the scriptures and get back to the principles and the laws, the statutes, the commandments of the Most High. And we're going to see that this has been dictated throughout our ancestral documentation and if we lean back into them, we tap in to what the Most High has already done. In Genesis chapter 8, the Most High makes a promise to Noah that as long as the earth remains or while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. So there are cycles. There are cycles. There are cycles in the heavenlies, in the earth realm, in the physical environment. As the sun circles around, that's we have the uh, summer, uh, the winter solstice, and the spring equinox. We have these different seasons that happen on a rotation. Some calendars will give it 365. The calendar that I've been walking by is the Enoch, Enoch being a forefather, all the way up to Noah's time. So the Enochian calendar is 364. And the math is precise and beautiful, and, and we can go through that at another time. But this ob observations of the luminaries, as the book of Enoch would say, would show forth how the Most High created all things. So based on those principles, we come into Genesis chapter 26. And in Genesis chapter 26, it starts off with something very unique that we've seen before. People say, oh, see, that's how the scriptures, we know that the Bible is fake because it's saying the same story. That's one perspective. Or it could just be showing the cyclical nature of humanity, the cyclical nature of the earth and how the Most High created things to operate in a seasonal pattern, in a seasonal way. And once we understand those and understand those things that have been laid and has been displayed throughout nature, we will begin to know the Most High and how he operates. So there was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abram. So you're seeing here now Isaac, his son, is experiencing a similar pattern in the earth itself. There was a cycle that had happened when Abram was first coming out of the earth of the Chaldees. There was a famine that hit him as he was going south towards Mamre or south to Canaan land. And then he went down geographically mountainous range, went down into Egypt from the south to avoid a famine after the Most High told him to come out from among your kindred. And we've talked about that in previous podcasts, so we won't expand on that too much. 
So Abram, after he left, went into Egypt. Now we're seeing a similar pattern, not only in the earth, but we're seeing in the actions and in the, the way that Isaac stepped or the way that Isaac lived his life. And that's why he was able to tap into the, the blessing, into the stream, into the consciousness, into the portal that was manifested in the earth. He retraced the footsteps of his ancestor or of his father, Abram. Now, there was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abram. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Now, the Philistines is not the Palestinians, but the Philistines were a subset group, a descendant of Misraim or Egypt. Misraim was one of the sons of the translations show Ham, but there are some questions about that. I'm more convinced that it was Japheth, but we'll stick with that for right now. So Ham had sons in the eastern part of the garden or the eastern part of what they now call Africa. So the sons of Ham were Cush or Nubia, Kemet, then ancient Egypt, now called Egypt. But those were the previous names from the garden to when they began to separate and break down like molecules. You have the garden. Sin came in. Satan was able to deceive the firstborn. That broke down the molecular structure of the earth and of its seed, human beings. The, the divine connection to the Most High through sin. Satan was able to penetrate humanity and bring in this onslaught of just wickedness that continued to reign to this day. So it was the garden after sin broke up. Then you have Noah. Noah maintained an obedience to the Most High, was a caretaker of the earth, obeyed the Most High through the flood, was able to preserve seed without it being completely wiped out like most of them did. Some did survive in one way or another through different bloodline connection pieces, people that they uh, meshed with, some that went underground, some went into the into the water, some went into the into the caves. There was all kind of different methods through which people were trying to survive during that huge deluge of water during the flood. Then Ham, Shem, Japheth then broke down into their sons. And then you have Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. And Mizraim was the, the progenitor of the Philistines. So when we read about this, Isaac decided to go to Abimelech. And remember, Abram had met with Abimelech before or his bloodline earlier on in Abram's life when he built a well there. And we're going to see how Isaac was able to trace those same roots. And there's the ways of the Most High that as he, as he obeyed and stayed in the confines of what Abraham had already established, the Most High was able to visit him. And that's the key is to get back to what is your ancestral blueprint. And in these levels of captivities, when you've been, uh, when our people has been dispersed, as they call them in the diaspora for many, many generations, the scripture says in Isaiah chapter 61, that he would bring his anointed ones, his priests who would come in and would heal and would restore the pathways of many generations to console those who mourn in Zion or those who mourn in the Holy Land, those who mourn in the land of promise, those who mourn in the garden to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be trees 
of righteousness that be planted by the Most High, that he might be glorified. So you're seeing this concoction, this mixture of the human seed and how the Most High relates it to the earth. So anytime you want to have growth, healing, expansion, it has to be connected to the earth because that was what the Most High commanded in the beginning. So he's always trying to get us back to Eden, get us back to the land. Because if we're connected to the land, then we're back in the flow. That's the ancestral record. How did our ancestors get here? How did our ancestors maneuver if you're in the garden? And for those who who left the garden, who lost the garden, those who were taken from the garden, those who were um, stolen from the garden, whatever uh, different captivity that we all are experiencing in one way or another throughout the earth, you ask the question now, what was our strength? Our strength was tied to the ground because that was the commandment the Most High gave. He said to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. What is the most powerful resource we have? The earth, water, cool, the earth, because the water is in the earth. The earth itself is our greatest resource. So why aren't we caretaking for the earth? That is the biggest, I was telling a friend, agriculture is the best business to be in because it will never go bad. No matter what economies go and come, come and go, no matter what happens in this earth realm, according to the ways and laws of man and their rules, is that the earth will always remain. Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter. This, these laws that the Most High has placed is what is the superseding law above all. And the forefathers understood that. Abraham understood that. He taught, he learned that from Shem. He learned that from Eber when he stayed amongst them. And they passed that down to Isaac. And Isaac stayed in that flow. And we're going to see why his mom loved him so much. So let me finish Um, Isaiah chapter 61, and they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the, the, they shall repair the ruined cities and the desolations of many generations. That is Isaiah 61 verse four. So you're seeing that the most high said, if you get back into a flow with me as my priest, look at the next verse. He says, strangers shall stand, verse 5, Isaiah 61, 5, strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the foreigner shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. So you're going to see this principle, although it's ahead of time, it is beyond, it is way in the future, but these covenants are forever. So when we go backwards and we see what is happening with Isaiah or with Isaac, they are in the same bloodline. They are from the same lineage. That's the same seed. So Isaiah is from the tribe of Judah. That is Isaac, Jacob, his son, Jacob's fourth son. So that's his grandfather's father's father, all the way back. And they understood those principles. So they were able to prophesy, bring the people back to what did the Most High tell our forefather Abram? What did our forefather Isaac? What was our forefather Jacob? Well, let's go back to what they said. What did our forefathers do? Why were they brought to this land? here in the Americas. Why were they brought here? Because they knew the land. They were the closest to the land. They had the spiritual and the uh, physical jurisdiction and connection to the land. And the colonists understood that. So they said, let's bring them who are closest to the land to work the land. But in the spirit and in the mental, in the emotional, in the frameworks, They were able to manipulate and break them, break their spirit. 
So we're dealing with a people of a broken spirit, a broken spirit. And that's what dries up the bones. That's what the book of Proverbs says, that a broken spirit dries up the bones. So when you go back to Ezekiel, when he says the dry bone shall live again, is that the Most High is going to what put a new spirit, give us a new vision, a new way. This is the years of the return, and we're studying. We're studying the ways of our Father. We're understanding the ways of our ancestors so that we can align ourselves to get back in that flow. When you're listening to an FM station, you hear it loud because there's so much power, so much frequency. Everyone's listening to it. 90.5 FM. This is the... And it's really loud. But if you go to the AM frequency, all you're hearing is static. You may catch a little bit of a voice like, and you're trying to figure it out. You're dialing it between 560 and 565 and trying to, this is old school. So some of the new people looking, listening and probably thinking, what are you talking about? But we used to have to dial in. We had to move the dial so that it caught what was being said on these AM stations because it was so staticky. That's where it is right now that there's so much static in the earth, so much distraction, so much brokenness, so much corruption that just keeps multiplying itself. Anytime you do something wicked, it multiplies. You may not physically see it. You may forget about it, but it is multiplying. So once we understand that to be a principle that everything we do is multiplication, now you see why the propaganda gets us to move in a chaotic way so that there can be, as they say, order out of chaos. The chaos is what was happening amongst the different ones. That's why Abram, Isaac, Jacob, one of the key things they said was do not mix with the, the heathens. Do not be like them. Not only in bloodline, but do not mix with their ways. Don't follow their ways because if you do, you will perpetuate the curses and not the blessings because you'll start to worship the thing and not the creator. Why would we worship the sun when we know someone created the sun? Whoever created the sun is who I'm talking about when I say the creator of all things, the coat or the most high. That's who we're talking about. It's beyond our overstanding or our understanding or our understanding. He's the most high is greater than everything that is. So that's really important to understand and underscore as we begin to move through these scriptures and understand these patterns that are set in motion uh, through the life of Isaac. So it says in Genesis chapter 26, verse 2, and the most high appeared and said unto Isaac, do not go down to Egypt. Do not go down. Do not go down. Remember the terrain. He was up south. The river now go, streams up into the Mediterranean because of the, the, the terrain. So he told him, don't go down to Egypt like your dad did because he was going to do the same thing. Hey, my father, when, they, when he ran into that family, what did dad do? Oh, he went to... He went to Egypt. That's where we're going. He said, no, I don't want you to make that same decision. And that's why Isaac had to know the ways of the Most High because he was following the pattern. But he said, no, I want to go a different route. I want you to do it this way. And he was obedient. Dwell in this land, verse 3, and I will be with you and I will bless you. Stay amongst the sons of Mizraim. Stay here in Japheth's corner or AKA as it's been translated in Ham's corner. Stay in Ham's corner and be here because Why? When you dwell here, dwell in this land. What did Genesis chapter 9, verse 27 say? And Shem and Japheth shall dwell in tents together. So that's what I, I once again, one of the, the facts or one of the, the evidence that is proving that 
there was a mistranslation, a huge conspiracy beyond most of the scriptures that have been tainted by false translations, mistranslations, mix-ups. You begin to learn the ways of the Most High, and then he begins to show you his way. Like, no, that wasn't me. That was this. And unfortunately, what's going to happen in most cases, they're going to try to say, oh, you're misusing the scriptures. Or da, da, da. That's all man's law. The Most High will show himself in scripture, in your life, in historical references, and in nature. That's the truth that we're pushing for. He said, I will lead you into all truth. You will have no need for no one to teach you. You don't even really need the Bible as the way people have said they need the Bible because most of it has been used from an indoctrinational stance. But the word is there as a reference point. It's a guide to lead you into truth so that you can know the ways of the Most High from within. And he said, yeah, I'll give you a heart of flesh. He told uh, Jeremiah that no one will have to teach you anything because I will write it on your heart. I will re connect you. I'll give you a heart of flesh and I will share with you my word. That's what our Savior said when he came and he was trying to teach us and bring us back to the Father. He said, the Spirit will lead you into all truth and guide you. This is John chapter 14 through 16. So you see these, these pathways that the Most High is trying to get to us through the power of his word. So in Genesis chapter 26, we're seeing part of the promise that the Most High is tapping into from what Noah said when he said, Japheth and Shem would be dwelling in the same tents. So Japheth is in the eastern part of the garden, which the translations have put Ham there. But we're seeing the descendants and the ways and the characteristics of Ham to be amongst the Gentiles. Gentiles do what Ham did. And then you see certain things like Ham. You see Ham in the framework of the nations in their names and in the way they built things. Birmingham, Nottingham. All those different things, that, those are, according to Scripture, Gentile nations, Magog, Tubal, Meshach, Tyrus, all those nations that are mentioned in Genesis chapter 10 that are under Japheth are most likely Ham, and that Japheth is actually on the continent. So you're seeing, he says, no, stay here with Misraim, stay here on the continent, dwell in this land, and I will be with you. To you and your descendants will I give these lands. He's already given us the promise from Abram. This is still on the continent. It has not left the continent. And you're seeing it amongst the bloodlines, even if you want to go with Ham as the progenitor. Okay, Ham is still Misraim. Philistine is under that bloodline. So that's still on the continent. He's saying, I'll bless you in these lands. And I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. The power of the Most High to sustain his word and the word of his servants once they spoke it because he gave them the authority to rule in this realm. And when we walk in accordance to him, like in uh, Psalms 82, he says, you are gods, meaning you're small representations of me. You are made in my image. So whatever you say will come to pass, will bear fruit, will grow. And I will make your uh, descendants multiply as the stars of the heaven and give your descendants all these lands. And through you, and your people, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Hasn't the nations been blessed off of us, whether it means consciously or unconsciously, working the lands for free, free labor, all that, that's still being a blessing to the nations, but it hasn't been a blessing for us because we've walked out of covenant. They understood these, these references, so they were able to concoct it in so many different ways and maneuver it in ways so that it benefited the nations because what the Most High said is what it is. So when the Savior was talking about ye are of your father Abraham or you are of your father the devil, there's a war going on between Abraham's seed or Adam's seed, Eve's seed, 
and the enmity with the seed of Satan. And I find it very interesting that in the book of Chronicles, it talks about the genealogies and it does not show Cain. It says Adam, Seth, Enosh. It didn't show Cain. And Cain was the one who spilt blood. He was the one who was um, enticed by the wicked one and said that, am I my brother's keeper? He stepped out of that realm and there was a, a disconnect. Adam and Eve were dealing with the cursed seed. Cain became a part of that cursed seed, the enmity seed that was being referred to when the Most High was talking to Satan and to Eve. and Because remember, at that time, human beings, we were at such a high vibration, high level, that the spirit world, that spiritual realm was so interchangeable with us. So you could have interaction just like we do now. We just don't see them as much. But you're seeing the, the manifestations of these fallen ones or of these demonic powers or these evil energies or these bad vibes or my demons, as people would like to say. Those That realm has always been here and we interface with it because we are partially spirit, just like we have a portion of the earth in us. Like when we read in Isaiah where he said, you'll be trees planted. We are humans, but we also have a spirit. We also have a mind. We also have intangible portion of our being that is forever. And that came from the most high. And that realm is where those realms of darkness or negatives or yin and yangs, these different oppositions that come in and we have a choice. So I don't even necessarily look at things from a good or bad position. As my, my young brother told me today uh, during one of our uh, times together on the Sabbath as we was honoring the Father, is that every situation, regardless of how it looks to you in the particular moment, can work for your good or it can cause you to stumble and you have a decision to make. And walking in obedience to the Most High is going to be one of the most important things. So let's get back to Genesis chapter 26. Then uh, Genesis 26, 5. Because Abram obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my law, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bless him and I will bless you if you walk according to the same thing. So you're seeing this happen here. You, you, we move on into the scripture. We have another situation where Isaac, because he had these women that came from his house, from his, his bloodline, whether it be Sarai or now you're dealing with Rebecca, they were very beautiful women. And when they were going to these different lands among the other nations that weren't their specific bloodline or their specific people, they would run into issues. So he would act like it wasn't his wife, like, hey, you are my sister. And they, they played it off for a long period of time to one time Abimelech saw through the window, saw him enduring his wife. That's not brother and sister. <laughs> the endearment you have with this woman is more than that. And imagine if one of us would have done that, you would have caused us a lot of calamity. So you're seeing how um, Abimelech and that the people of that time understood the power of making decisions without having knowledge base or making a choice that would, as I said earlier, replicate or produce fruit. You see in Genesis 26.10, and Abimelech said, what is this that you have done to us? One of the people might have soon lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. You would have brought trouble to us. First of all, because he, he could have discerned that the Most High had blessed him and he understood in spiritual spaces that if you sleep with this man's wife, 
the, the, the most high is going to rain on us and that can reverberate into many generations. So we are very careful. Anytime we do things that are contrary and our children pick it up or the younger people pick it up, what happens? That thing grows and it becomes worse. Look at the state of our culture. Look at how things have grown from what it was in the 90s to the early 2000s to what it is right now. And whatever is being sown right now, what would it look like 20 to 30 years from now? And those who push these agendas understand those principles. We have to remember. That's why we're going back to the ancestral record to see these principles and understand how we can begin to fashion our lives accordingly so that we can get back in the right stead so we can see growth and healing in our lives. Just like a farmer. Farmer puts something in the ground. They have to be mindful of the season they're in. Sometimes if the sun didn't maneuver a certain way or there wasn't enough rains, that can throw off a whole harvest. That can throw. So it's the same thing with us. If we've been working so hard, as one said, it takes 20 years to build trust and five minutes to destroy it. And that is the power of decisions that are made. And if you walk in accordance to your ancestral lineage, you're going to be more powerful. That is a part of what a lot of the European nations have done that continues to bring a certain level of wealth to them is because they they don't go outside of what their forefathers have done. You see a lot of the politicians, you see a lot of these people who are rich, their father, their mothers, their great-grandmothers, their great-grandfathers were rich and they stayed, either took their those resources and was able to start their own thing, but it was still within the context of something that had been brewing for some time. But if you don't have anything that you're starting from and you're the first person in your family to go to college or you're the first person to start a business or the first to do anything, that weight is upon you to set forth your generations for more to come. That's the legacies, not just wealth in a material or monetary standpoint. That's one framework, but it's ultimately about how do you expand that so that it lives beyond you? Because that money you have will live beyond you. But the question is, is it going to stay within your framework or is it just for you for vain reasons? That's what has been promoted and that's what's been perpetuated on most levels, but it's not sustainable. In chapter 26, verse 13, it says that the man, meaning Isaac, began to prosper and continue prospering until he became very prosperous. So he prospered, continued prospering, and then became very prosperous. That's levels. 30 60, 100 folds. So whatever you're doing, don't be afraid of starting because it's going to start small. You got to put a seed in the ground. And in this batch, you might only get a few tomatoes if you're planting tomatoes. But if you do it right and you flip it, you take those seeds and you replant them, you get another harvest and then you get into the abundance. We think it comes overnight because that's the way it's imaged to us. That's the way the insta, the instant but that is not sustainable and it's not real. Things take time, just like in nature. And the more we get back to the land, the more patient we can become and more methodical we can think and more principled we become. So these are the, the, the lessons that we're learning as we move along through the scriptures. So then you see there was a, a growth of strength and prosperity that was happening to him. He had possessions of flocks and he grew in his manservants and they began to envy him. So when they envied him, there comes the war now. They're like, these Philistines was like, who is this guy, Shem's children, coming over here and, and just prospering? But they didn't know that the wells and the things that were there started with Abram. So he had generational head start on it. 
Look, look at verse 15. Now the Philistines has stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abram, his father, and they were filled with the earth. So the earth had stopped it up. The, work, the water was underneath. They didn't have any more wells or, as we call today, even boreholes. There was nothing there. And that was just one generation because there was a lack. There was a lag there in time. But then Isaac went back. He went back through those ancestral spaces and began to reclaim it, first of all, in the spirit with the Most High. And that's the first step is the Most High has to sanction it. Once the Most High sanctions and you walk according to his ways, then he begins to open up the doors for you in the physical space. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the Valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water, which they had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abram. He called them by the names which his father had called them. So those wells, he recalled it. He spoke it back up again. He revitalized it. He healed it. He, he restored it. And that's the power that everything that has already been laid. Remember the ruins that we, we talked about in Isaiah 61. They will the, restore the pathways of many generations. Further along in Isaiah, it says, and they shall be called the repairers of the breach, the restorers of paths to dwell in. That's Isaiah, who was coming from the line of Judah. Judah, who was Judah? Judah was the fourth son of Leah, who was the wife of Jacob, who is the grand, who is the son of Isaac. So Isaac is, they learned this already. For many generations. So when you see the blessings, it wasn't just some random hocus pocus. This was being passed down because of their forefathers. They followed and they kept in those ways. Even Isaac dealt with this and there was a, a stoppage after Abram's death, but it wasn't too long. So he was able to get back in and reclaim it and resettle it. And that's so beautiful. And then now he can really push it through, but he had to fight through. He had to struggle. It wasn't easy. What did it say? He found a valley. He dug water there. He named it. What his father called it. So he already reestablished it. It's almost like he got his title deeds on it again and said, this is my father's land. But there was going to be opposition because he was in another person's land. He wasn't in the fullness of the promised land, but he was within the covenant of what the Most High said, that he would be in the in the house of, of Canaan. So he was close, being what Mizraim, close, but not completely there yet but was in the jurisdiction. So he was getting some resistance, but he was getting closer to the land. And that's why the Most High was beginning to bless him. It's almost like that game where you're like, cold, hot, kind of hot, cold, when you're trying to find it. And people are like saying, oh, this is hot or it's cold. You're getting cold. He was getting close to where he was supposed to be. Verse 26, then Abimelech came to him from Gerar and one of his friends and said to him, why have you come to me? Since you hate me and have set me away. Isaac is asking him, like, why are you bothering me? I'm here. I'm digging my wells from where my father did it with your father. And this is what I'm working on. And he said, no, I'm not here to bother you, man. Because he knows, oh, man, he's tapped back in. He already said the name. He's in his flow. He's prosper, prospering and prosperous. We need to make an alliance with him. And Isaac was okay with that. See, we make peace where peace is. We're not here to fight or argue or to be at war just to be at war. It has to be for um, our own survival that you have to defend yourself. But in most cases, you want to live at peace with everybody. That's why I speak peace in the realms over there in the um, in the Levant, over there in Israel and Gaza and 
in those spaces that there will be peace, that there wouldn't be any more war or torment. And it came to pass, verse 32, the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him that the well they had dung, we have found water. What was he doing? Not only was he following the ways of Abram, he was following the ways of the Most High. And the Most High said, over the waters, let there be life. Because water is the most precious commodity that the earth gives us because we cannot survive more than a few days without water, less food. But water, we have found water. If we have water, then that means everything will be sustained. So we found water. And remember, they have been fighting to try to get water because of so much of, um, the, of the Philistines who were warring against them and would not allow them to dig a well. They'll say, no, that water is ours. So they were quarreling there. That's in verse 20. I'm going backwards, 21. Dug another well. They quarreled and they called it and they named these places so that it would be known when you go there what type of energy was in that space so that you know what the land is going to produce, what that water represents or doesn't represent. All of that was really significant and powerful as to why things are happening in certain areas, just like down south. Why is there such a heavy concentration of of segregation and hatred because that was reverberated from past generations during uh, all the, the times of the Reconstruction and, and um, Jim Crow and all those different things that were happening down south. That's why you still can feel that energy. It's the same thing here. It's the same principle. And it came to pass, verse 32, we dug and we found water and he said, we shall call it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. What, what did Abram call it? He called it Beersheba. So we're seeing here that Isaac went through similar things, even down to Abimelech's servants. The, the children of the Philistines were giving him a hard time. Every move he made, his father went through the same thing with Abimelech and that seed line. So you're always seeing this, this war between Mizraim and Cain and all those, that sector was at odds and had constant tension of people groups being passed down. Abraham had his issues. Now Isaac is having it. But Isaac stayed within the confines and the framework that his father had already laid. And when he had found water in verse 32, 33 shares that, and he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of that city is Beersheba to this day. He re- invigorated. He re-spoke. He re-ignited the energy, the covenant, the promise that the Most High already made with Abram. He reenacted it. He reinstituted it. Now, verse 34 is extremely important, and I won't go into a lot of detail because in our last podcast, I talked about Esau and the context he was in when he gave up his birthright earlier on in the in this journey of the ancestral documentation, but you'll see into this next chapter in chapter 27, something really peculiar and Jasher and Jubilees goes into it with more details, giving you some of the spiritual um, context to why Rebecca made the decision she made. But you see something interesting here in verse 34 it says, then Esau was 40 years old. He took as wives, Judith, the daughter of Beir, the Hittite, and Basmath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And Rebekah was upset. Why? Because he stepped out of the covenant. 
he began to mix with the other nations that the Most High told him not to mix with. And that's where you'll start to see the angst coming between family members. Back in those days, and even in some of the more traditional societies um, that follow some of the, I guess, the, the non-Western ways, was that they had dowries and people who were already set to marry other individuals, arranged marriages. And in our Western culture, we see that as a bad thing. But from what we see happening in Western culture with families and relationships and marriages and the, the lack of sustainability is based on some of these principles. Now, the arranged marriage can have its pros and cons as well, but the, the spirit of it or the intention from the beginning was for an individual to marry into bloodlines to keep family structures and communities, tribes, people groups strong and not allow it to cause family lines to weaken themselves outside of being fruitful and multiplying, which was the Most High's commandment from the beginning. The Most High's first commandment was to multiply. He loves multiplication. So he always would push for the the fruit, the, the seeds of the earth to produce after its own kind, after its own seed, the animals to produce after its own kind. The first commandment he gave us as human beings was to be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth, keep what I did going, take care of the earth and do what I've done. I've already put it into your DNA. I've put it into your capacities, into your abilities, your proclivities, into your tendencies. I put all of that in you and I need you to procreate and to build that. That was a huge part of why they would have arranged marriages so that you can have these things um, continue to move from generation to generation. So when Esau ended up marrying outside and married someone from Canaan, Canaan was the fourth son of Ham, Put, Mizraim, Canaan, Canaan was the fourth son. Cush, Mizraim, Put, Canaan. Canaan was supposed to be a servant. So that would be a lower pedigree, for lack of better words. It would be a, a different bloodline, still in the same continent, still in the same family structure of Ham, Sham, and Japheth, but you have this breakdown of that pure connection that was being built in the family structure. And that was really important to Rebecca because she was staying and keeping the covenant that the Most High made with Abram and with Isaac. And now it's going to be with Jacob because Esau was a man of the field. He was a man that wanted to conquer and mix with different people groups and go outside of their family structures and um, areas through which they were supposed to procreate according to the way the Most High said it, because Canaan had already been placed in an area of servitude for the rest of them. And now you are mixing that seed with the, the king's and queen's seed. So you see that in history, that royal groups, the feudalists, even in um, ancient Kush or ancient, as some would call Kemet or even uh, ancient Egypt, you would have bloodlines. Even they said with Cleopatra that she married her uh, sibling and all these different things. That was more of a perverted way of trying to keep the bloodlines pure. But the principle, anytime human beings get involved, there's going to be some form of corruption involved in it because they're being influenced in most cases by the wicked one. And he already is set for judgment. So on his way down, 
He is continuing to deceive and cause delusions to manifest so that human beings will continue to be out of outside of the uh, the purview and the protection of the most high so that he can hold them captive. So you see that Rebecca was really concerned about the loss of the family legacy, the family commitment, this, the covenant that they had with the most high. They were a grief of mind. They used to get on their nerves, both Isaac and Rebecca. So that is really important to understand as we come into chapter 27, because now Isaac, although he, he wanted to bless Esau, it says that Jacob, by the direction of his mother, deceived his father by presenting himself as Esau or somebody that he wasn't. Now, the motivation or the intention was somewhat pure, but the execution was off. And there's grace for those moments. See, when we do things out of the, the right intentions, but executed um, poorly or blindsided or, or it doesn't turn out exactly as we want and that we still we still feel that remember as i said earlier everything we do there is a ramification or there is a sowing and reaping there is a karma there is a an effect there's a cause and effect for everything that we do so that's why the scriptures especially for those who are walking in this divine covenant that the savior told us that every word that you speak you will be judged for meaning for everything that you're saying and you're doing it is causing some sort of reaction and it could be to your good, to the good of others, or it can be bad for you or for the or for the worse for others, meaning your family or your community or even a nation, depending on what the circumstance and context is. So with that being said, Jacob tried to do the right thing by obeying his mother and the most high honored that and blinded Isaac's discernment after he realized this sounds like Jacob, but it feels like Esau because Esau was a very hairy man. So she put him, she dressed him up and cooked the food because she's the one who taught Esau how to do it anyway. So she, look, I'm going to cook you something and then you're going to get the blessing from your father. You're going to get the go ahead from your dad because I don't want Esau doing it. He done married the Hittites. He done did this. He's wild. I ain't going to be able to stop him. He's not going to preserve the bloodline. He's mixing with everybody. He's doing this. He's doing that. He's not going to be about family. You're going to go do it. But mom, how am I going to do that? Because dad's going to know and then he's going to curse me. Nah, let that curse be on me. This is what you finna do. Or this is what you about to do. So you know that was an Afro mama right there. Look, this is how you're going to do it. This is how you need to do it. And she broke it down for him. Jacob ends up getting the blessing, even though Isaac was unsure. But at the time, his sight was gone and he couldn't discern it. And a part of that is that she knew that he was having a hard time with Esau as well. Like, they've been giving us a headache. I know what your mama doing, so I'm going to go along with it. That's not in this text, but there's little context clues that let me know. Like, how did he, I used to always ask myself, how did he not know? And he even said it, but he still ended up blessing him. It was more like, I know your mama's behind it. I know your mom. I know what she's trying to do. So, yeah, let's go with it. Sort of like turned the other cheek. Sort of like Adam <laughs> did with Eve or like. His dad did with Sarah, like, okay, we can get with Hagar, even though I know that's not exactly what the Most High is saying, but I guess so. And don't we always do that? We Men are deeply influenced by the women around them. So that's why it's important to have good women around you. And you can go astray or you can be empowered. 
And that goes vice versa as well as for make sure that the man that you're with, that he walks with the most high so that he doesn't lead you astray. This is for the ladies. So he went through the whole process, received the blessing. But remember, there has been this buildup because Esau was already gave up his birthright when he was hungry. And now he's coming full circle to go after his dad told him, go make him make me one more meal before I leave, before I go back to the father. He was so in connection with the father that he knew when his time was about to come. He knew when his time was up. So he was getting his seed line prepared for how they're supposed to move forward. So the blessing he gave him, he said, surely the smell of my son, this is Isaac talking to Jacob. He said, come near, man, because you, it don't sound like it's you, but he came near, he kissed him and smelled the smelling of his clothing and blessed him and said, surely the smell is of my son, quote unquote Esau. It smells like the field which the Most High had blessed. The field, Rebecca knew the, the ways of Isaac and the ways of the Most High and that the field was a reminder, the smell of the field was a reminder to him. Because remember, his senses were off. He couldn't really see very well. So his heightened sense was in the smell and he could smell the grass. He could smell the field and it automatically brought him to who? The Most High. Everything we do should be a reflection of our creator that we're always mindful of how blessed we are. The fact that you're here to hear my voice, the fact that I'm allowed to even speak to you is a blessing from the Most High who gives to his children freely. So Isaac was always in a state of thanksgiving Therefore, may the Most High give you the dew of heaven, water, the fatness of the land, produce, and plenty of grain and wine. Grain sustains because it lasts for long periods of time. So he was giving him source material, things that are resourceful for their survival. And that you will be on top of that and let the peoples serve you. Most High will speak to you and then the people will serve you and you serve and you lead and the nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's son bow to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and bless those who bless you. That's the same blessing that the Most High gave to Abram. He passed it now to Jacob. He said, Jacob, everyone that blesses you will be blessed. Everyone who curses you was cursed. And that's the, the word of the Most High for his children, for his, his chosen seed who have gone so far off. As we align ourselves back to the Most High, he said, I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. In these years of the return, you're going to see an influx of blessing. And sometimes it has been perpetrated through more job opportunities and so forth. Those are all outliers and cool, but it is not source. It is not sustainable. The Most High is saying, no, I'm going to bring you out. So even when he brought out the firstborn in the book of Exodus, he told them, when you come out of this land, go into the wilderness. And they didn't want to go in the wilderness. They wanted to stay in Egypt. Like, man, we have everything here. We have this, we have that. We don't want to go over there and start over. We don't want to start from scratch. But how can I show you my glory? How can I rebuild and give you of your own if you don't want to start with me and allow me to be your king again? So that's what the Most High is calling us to in these years of the return as he's shifting the world, as he's judging the nations, as he's aligning things. There's going to be a lot of chaos, more chaos coming. And the Most High is going to be calling his children back to Eden, back to the land, back home. And based on who you are, based on your bloodline, it's going to be important that you are mindful of these particular things because if you walk outside of those covenants, it will be a detriment. And that's what happened to Esau. Esau came back. He was excited because he wanted that blessing so he could use it 
for any type of thing other than the betterment of the people or for his tribe. And he lost and he wept bitterly and was very angry and was like, I'm going to kill my brother. And Rebecca got wind of it and said, hey, look, you need to go to my brother's spot and stay there for some time because your brother's going to kill you. So we see here in chapter 27, verse 42, in the words of Esau, her oldest son were told to Rebekah. So she went and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice and flee to my brother Laban in Haran. That's their land that they were in first, Haran, sub-Saharan, Haran. This is the land, the Haran, that fertile crescent that was there before it became a desert. Sarah, Sahara, Sarah, Haran, Sarah, Abram's wife, Haran, the land that they came from. Haran is the brother of Abram. Go to my brothers, go to my family, go within our bloodline, go back to our roots, go even further into your roots. So he went and traced to where Abram had land. And then he said, no, go all the way back to where I know you're absolutely safe and you'll be in great care, is go back to our homeland and work with Laban, my brother. But because of the seeds that Jacob had sown, those actions had to bear its fruit. And it showed up as he went and left to go to Laban's house. So he left there. And before I, I go to that portion of the scripture, in verse 45, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him, then I will send and bring you back. But why should I be bereaved and lose both of you? And then Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth, like these who are our daughters in the land, what good will my life be? She's like, I'm not allowing Jacob to go through that. I'm going to send him to my brother's house. So she wasn't being completely honest with everything, but... The intention and the motivation was understood and honorable in one way or another. And the Most High still operates through our weaknesses. So we don't have to hide when we have problems or when we fall short. He's there to help us and he will always salvage it as long as our heart is after him. So it's not a matter of not making mistakes or not being um, or being quote unquote perfect, but if your intentions are right and you are a part of the, the seed line, the Most High is gracious. If you are walking in your seed line, whatever your seed line may be. So in chapter 28, it says, Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him, saying, You shall not find a wife from the daughters of Canaan. So Rebecca was able to put that in motion and say, Hey, I'm going to send you to my brother's house. Let me talk to your father. She knew how to talk to him in covenant language that would get him to do what she needed to be done. And that's that's some wisdom for the ladies there on how you can operate. Like they always say, the man is the head, but the woman is the neck that turns the head. So she knew how to respectfully and within the covenant, respecting covenant, not necessarily of a demotion of some sort or less than, but she respected the family goals, the lineage the tribe Isaac was establishing that he had been called to build this nation. She understood the nation building aspects and was able to move like a queen and definitely help take that forward without having to cause much pain or problems. So in verse one of 28, Genesis chapter 28, verse one, 
Then Isaac called Jacob, blessed him, charged him, saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Heth, Canaan. That's Canaan's bloodline. You remember what Noah said? Mm -mm. Esau already did that. So Esau has already pretty much knocked himself out, being a lead of being the one who carries our legacy forward because they're supposed to be serving us based on the wickedness that they had done. And once again, that's that reverberation. And if you've done things, doesn't mean you have to be afraid and like, oh, things that I've done is going to come back and haunt me. Yes, it will in one way or another, but the Most High is gracious if you acknowledge it. So that's why it's so important for us to acknowledge um, our frailty, even when we haven't necessarily done things that is in our consciousness. Because sometimes we do things unknowingly. It hits a blind spot or subconsciously or whatever the case may be. So we always want to stay in a state of um, humility, not necessarily fear or rejection or or having self-pity or victimization, victimizing oneself. No, this is about walking in a state of humility, knowing that we're frail humans, but yet we are powerful because of who the Most High has made us. And I, we boast not in ourselves, lest um, we, we fall into temptation. That's why the Savior said, your kingdom come, your will be done on, on earth as it is in the heavens and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. So that, that posture of humility and being mindful of where we are so that the Most High can maneuver situations to take care of those weak points and those fallacies and turn it out for his glory. In verse two, it says, Arise and go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, my mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there, from the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. So he's saying, stay in the bloodline, go to Paddan Aram. And if you look in the older maps, Paddan Aram is found in present-day Nigeria and Cameroon. That is Paddan Aram. So once again, they went back west, close to Mesopotamia, which is in that area, Ur of the Chaldees, in this fertile crescent that we now call the Sahara, Sarah and Haran Desert, in the west, Shout out and thankfulness to Elder and Kosi for helping bring a lot of these portions to light. And it says, now go to your brother and the Most High will bless you and make you fruitful. And you may have an assembly of the peoples and give you the blessing of Abram. Look at Isaac passing it to Jacob and to your descendants with you. Why? Because Jacob was walking according to the covenant. Isaac went to Bathsheba. Now he's saying, who's walking in the covenant of my father? That's the one I need to stay with. When Esau married the children of Heth, when Esau was fighting and killing Nimrod, when Esau was out there wilding and doing what he does, Jacob was walking according to the ways of the Most High. He said, I would never take from these children, Mom. This is a conversation he had with her, and this is the book of Jubilees. I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to walk in those ways. I'm going to follow in the footsteps of my forefathers. And she knew that, and then Isaac knew that. In verse 4, and give you the blessings of Abram to you and your descendants with you that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which the Most High gave to Abram. And Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and went to Panaram. Also Esau saw the daughters of Canaan did not please his father. So Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahaliah, the daughter of Ishmael. And Ishmael, once again, see, Esau didn't fully understand. He was like, my dad don't like it. Okay, I'll go with Abram's. I'll go with my grandfather's firstborn because I'm the firstborn. And see, it's still that that intention, that, that spirit was still flowing through him, that rage, that rebellion. 
was manifesting to him. So he kept creating more actions that would open the door for more of that energy, those fallen ones to come in and to build strongholds into his bloodline. You have to remember everything that we're doing is passed down to your bloodline to the third and to the fourth generation. So now he went to Ishmael, but Ishmael was Hagar, which is still outside of the covenant. That's still Mizraim. You're still moving outside of the covenant. You're not staying on the side of Shem, seed. So you continue to perpetuate that same energy. The daughters of her, Abram's son, the sister of Nehoboth, and his wife, in addition to the wives he had. So he just had many wives. He wasn't, he was just spreading his seed everywhere. And that was not somebody that the Most High wanted to establish covenant with that he made with Abram because Abram wasn't that type and Isaac wasn't that type and Jacob wasn't that particular type. But when he went back to Laban, as we'll see, he does have to deal with that, but that was because Laban tricked him. His original was not as such. So now Jacob went out from Bathsheba. This is Genesis 28:10. Now Jacob went out of Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place at night. The sun has set, took in a stone and placed his, his head there and was sleeping. So he's on his way to, from Beersheba where his father had dwelt for many years, but it wasn't the fullness of the promise. Went back to where his father comes from. So now he's backtracking to get an idea of who he is. And that is really important that before you move into the fullness of where the Most High has for us, we have to backtrack to where did we begin so we can connect with our ancestral spaces. No matter where we find ourselves in our captivities, as we try to move toward finding our roots, the Most High will meet us there and give us grace to experience those things that are needed in order to get there. Doesn't mean you have to physically go there. No, but yes, if you have that capacity. That's why it's important to get on a journey. I went on a journey in the past four or five years, and I never would have thought I was able to go back to my father's homeland and to be able to touch the land and be able to see relatives. And that was my first time. So this story, I understand conceptually and spiritually what this means once you tap back in and you reconnect with your family bloodline. There's something that is reenacted of what the Most High planned for your particular group, for your particular seed, and for your family, and for your life. So it's important to tap into that space. And as he was on the way, it says in verse 11, so he came to a certain place, stayed there at night when the sun had set, he laid his head to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder that was set up on the earth, and at its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of the Most High were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Most High stood above it and said, I am the God of Abram, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, north, and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the reaffirming of what he did. Every time he walks in obedience, the Most High reveals even more of this covenant becoming more of a reality. The Most High continues to increase the glory on one's life when they walk in obedience. And there's always a trial. There's always a test that will challenge your particular space. And you have to be in obedience. You have to walk that thing out. And that's what he was able to do and walked it out. He said, now your descendants will be forever. 
Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done that what I have spoken. So as you're going back to the root, you're going to come back through here, and this is going to be your land. So once he received that by vision in a dream, then he awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Most High was here, and I didn't even know it. I couldn't discern the Most High. So then he said, I was afraid of this awesome place and none other than the house of the Most High. This is the gate of heaven. He's in Padan Haran, which the older map shows as Nigeria and Cameroon. He's right there in that Gold Coast. He's in that area of West that we call Africa, West Africa. He's in that region right now. So you begin to understand more and more why most of the slaves came from those West ports because that was a spiritual center. That's where the Most High dwelled. And our forefathers were trying to get us to understand that. Regardless of the names, we're not worried about the names. What is the story telling us? What is it sharing with us? What is it teaching us? What is the story telling us? We don't worry about the names. What is it trying to convey to us? What is the Most High trying to teach? He said, this is the gate of heaven. This is an awesome place. This is the house of the Most High. Then in verse 18, it says, Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone where he had laid the pillar and poured oil on it. Remember we read in, in Isaiah 61, oil of joy for mourning, the oil, the anointing that, sp that spoke of the presence. So he poured the oil, the physical representation to anoint that particular area. And then what did he say? He called the place Bethel, but the name of the city had been Luz previously. So whatever Luz is, now it's called Bethel. I call it Bethel. He was proclaiming it just like Gold Coast, now Ghana, or Rhodesia, now Zambia, or Africa, now called the Garden, or renamed the Garden. A resuscitation, a reconfiguration, a reconnection, a revitalization of speaking the word and making it so in the physical realm, based on what he said to ancestors. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if the Most High be with me and keep me in my way, that I am going and give me what? Bread to eat, clothing, and shelter. Food, clothing, shelter are the most important things that a man is supposed to provide for his home. All the extra things are only extra. You are commanded to take care of your family, your children, food, clothing, shelter. This culture teaches us consumerism and other things that put pressure on men to make them feel like they're not good enough or they're not being good fathers because they can't allow their children to do some of the extracurricular. And you do want to do that for them as well, but that doesn't define who you are if you're really taking care of them. You're being there for them. You're guiding them. You're giving them emotional support, connection, love, food, clothing, shelter. That's a man. And that's what he asked. If you would help me become the man you want me to be, and you take care of me so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then you will be my God. You will be my leader. I will follow you. This is the covenant that Jacob is making with the Most High. Hey, you have revealed yourself to me to be who you are as you were to my father Abram. If you take care of me in this journey and bring me back here, you're my God. That's the covenant he made. And the stone shall be a pillar and I will surely give a tenth. This is his vow that he made to him. So now Jacob goes in and he meets. As soon as he comes through, who does he meet? He meets some, some dudes there um, gathering the flocks, some shepherds. And he 
came to the land of the people in the east. He went to the eastern part and he's asking them, do you know who Laban is? Oh, we know him. So he's, he's, he's able to, by blood, by name, Laban, Haran, he's speaking these names to strangers and that was helping him navigate and connect with them through your name, through your word, through the land. He was able to maneuver with strangers, people who didn't know him. And then all of a sudden, as you know, it would be most high has everything together. Nothing is an accident or coincidence. And Rachel came in, who was his mother-in-law. That's the first person he meets, tells him who he is. She goes and he kisses her. He's like, oh, you're here. And he loved her from that day and wanted to marry her and say, hey, Laban, I want this woman. And now Laban had two daughters. He had Leah and he had Rachel. And Leah was a little delicate in the eyes, they say, but they was both fine, obviously. So he wanted Rachel, but Rachel was the younger daughter. So he, he made a deal with Laban and said, hey, I'll work with you. I'll work for you. The Most High has anointed me and I'm going to, I need, I want Rachel. I want Rachel to be my wife. Okay, cool. But look at the deception, just like his mom, Rebecca, brother, <laughs> Laban, Rebecca, same, played him. So he ended up um, working for the seven years and then in their arranged marriage sort of um, customs, they went to bed, consummated the marriage, had sexual relations toward procreation and pleasure, obviously. But it was about preserving and um, obeying the Most High, which was to replenish, multiply, continue to build. And then when he woke up in the morning, he was like, hold on. That wasn't my wife. That wasn't what we agreed to. He was sleeping with Leah. So that already was starting a tailspin of, of brokenness in the camp of Jacob because he was already from the beginning deceived. So that deception began to cause a chain reaction into the emotional makeup and the, and the emotional fabric of all of his women that then infected or affected the children. So he ends up having to, he goes to Laban. Laban's like, I can't give you the younger without the old. Playing him once again. You have to work with me for seven more years. Then you can have Rachel. So Jacob was like, man, and he did it because he loved Rachel so much. But Leo now was in a situation where she felt like second tier as the firstborn. So you're seeing this firstborn um, dichotomy, whether it be Leah or you see it with Esau, where they're being mistreated in a way that was causing a lot of consternation and, and pain and anger towards Jacob. Jacob was flipping the script. So some of the actions he made was now reverberating in his life. And he had to suck it up and still work through it because he knew the Most High is going to work it out for me anyway. So we look at this genetic composition as one thing being the seed and now the emotional and spiritual composition that was being built. So in verse 31, when the Most High saw that Leah was unloved, meaning she wasn't loved, she wasn't being getting the affection that she needed, he opened up her womb, but Rachel was barren. Rachel wasn't getting anything. So there were so many, one thing was causing this to happen in the spirit realm. And we don't know how these things happen. The Most High has to reveal that to you. You know, as we spend more time with the Most High, we see certain things that have happened in our life or that is happening 
Most High can give you insight to some of those reasonings, and then you can make adjustments to shift things, to break generational tendencies or curses or or um, uh, proclivities and begin to set a new course for you and your seed. So once he saw that in verse 29, or chapter 29, verse 32, so Leah conceived and bore a son and called his name Reuben, which was his firstborn. Behold, I've given you a son. That's what Reuben means. Behold, I gave you a son. So he gave him the name Reuben. The Most High surely looked at my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. So what was she dealing with when she was giving birth to Reuben? Seems like there's some abandonment there. So when you hear later on, when we get there, when Jacob is pronouncing a blessing on all of his children, some of these particular emotional imprints that his mom was feeling, Leah was feeling, is now guiding his personality and his way and his perception in the earth and his confidence and who he is. Because remember, these are still high-level human beings. They're connected to the most high. They walk in the covenant. So the anything they was doing was being meshed into the fabric of this person's psychological and mental construct and ways of being the hard drive, the subconscious. So Reuben meant, behold, a son, but it was birthed in abandonment. So you had that insecurity beginning to be birthed through there. So then he, it says, then she conceived again and bore a son. He said, because the Most High now have heard I am unloved, he has given me another son, and we're going to call his name Simeon. And Simeon means heard. I feel like I'm being heard now. That was still dealing with rejection. She felt rejected, unloved by her husband because she knew that I, I'm not your first choice. You wanted my younger sister. So there was a comparison there. The scripture even specifically talks about her physical ailment, which was deemed as a flaw in one way or another that we see even in society. Oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. So people spend billions of dollars. What women do, bleaching the skin or or makeup or hair or all these different things. And adornment is beautiful and it's cool, but if it's in place of or to make one feel more than, then that's where you run into some of those issues that then gets into the psychological, the spiritual and the emotional space that infects the overall seed, the person's whereabouts, the way they think, the way they see themselves. It, it hits on so many different levels. Then in verse 34, she conceived and bore a son again. And she said, now this time my husband will become attached to me. I've given him three boys. So look at what was going on in her soul during this pregnancy. Because I have bore him three sons, therefore his name will be Levi. And Levi means joined to. And Levi was the, the priest, priestly, because he was the connector. She felt connected. So he became the priest for the tribe, for the family. He became the one who connected everybody. So he was outside of some of the land that was given, but he was the priest unto the most high because he was a connection point. And then after that, she gave him another son and his name was Judah. At this point, she said, I'm going to praise the most high. That's why Judah means praise. That's why Judah was always out there out front and would be the main person who was from the tribe of Judah. David was from Judah. David was a psalmist. David was a musician. Who else was from the tribe of Judah? The Savior, the Mascendacy, the one they call the Christ, the Jesus. But it's a different individual. But the Mascendacy, the Savior, came from the tribe of Judah. Son of David, have mercy on me. Isaiah 
came from the tribe of Judah, the place of praise. She went back to the Most High. She didn't depend on her husband anymore. And that's where a woman finds her fullness. That's when a man finds their fullness. You will not be happy in the relationship until you are committed, connected, and fulfilled in your relationship with the Most High. Then you become interdependent with your loved one or your significant other or your husband or your wife. Because if you depend on them, then you cause calamity not only for yourself because they're never going to be able to meet you in that need and you give room for the enemy to come in and bring divisiveness and then you pass it to your children and then they have to bear with that and it begins to multiply in that arena as well. We're going to pick up in Genesis 30 on our next podcast.